Welcome to Recreate Parenting, the podcast from licensed therapist and author Roya Dato. We're going to talk about creative tools for more connection so that you can release fear and find joy in all of the places your kids take you. This podcast is especially wonderful for those of you who feel like your families don't quite fit the mold. We are going to start with a little story time today. When I was 13 years old, I started taking classes at our community college. My mom was a college teacher. I wanted to take voice lessons and some writing classes and the community college was a easy and accessible resource for us. So I signed up for my two classes, started the semester, had a grand old time, and that can be a story by itself for another episode. But the point of telling you this this time is that on my way up to my voice class on the second floor of the fine arts building, one day I walked by a magical, colorful musical portal. There was a room on the first floor that glowed. I would walk by it and then walk by it again, kind of arch my neck, try to look in. Every surface was painted. Everybody was talking and smiling and happy. There was wonderful, loud music playing all the time. And there was a big light sign with the flashing bright lights hanging from the center of the ceiling. I wanted to be a part of this room. Turns out it was the ceramics studio. I tried to get into a ceramics class the following semester, but I was waitlisted. So one more time and then I started. This ceramics class became my life. I- I'm not exaggerating. I loved every single thing about it. Our very first lecture, the very first day of class, our instructor, her name is Shar, she always wore brilliantly vibrant button-down collared t-shirts with bright red chucks and she had short spiky silver hair and was a force to be reckoned with. The music that I heard playing was about half Bob Dylan and half Tom Waits and every surface really was painted by students and we made ceramics. But more than that, that first lecture and that first day, she called it the weed out the wusses day and she would set the expectations for the class. In addition to teaching us how to center clay, how to throw cups and bowls and plates and everything, she was also teaching us what it was like to be part of an ideal community. I spent every single second in that studio that I could. Eventually, I was there so much they hired me and gave me a key. That was pretty rad. Uh, Again, another story for another time. The point is, I lived, breathed, ate ceramics. Maybe not literally ate ceramics, but you know what I mean. I spent every minute there I could. That's all I wanted to do. I was friends with the people there in a way I had never found community before. A lot of them were much older than me. Remember I started when I was 13, 14 and they were college students, but they took me under their wing. They protected me. They taught me. They ended up looking up to me, I think, in a lot of ways because of how much I dove into ceramics and glazing and understanding and learning about it. And skill was valued in that place. Not just age, not just degrees, not just that kind of thing, but your actual aesthetic. Anyways, I could talk about the ceramics class for hours because I spent years there, literal years of my life spent focused on the ceramics studio. One of the things that our instructor Shar presented that first day of class in the syllabus was the idea that 
anything she put as a requirement in the syllabus was to get a C. So if she put make six cups, that was a C. That was average. And if you wanted to be above average, make 60. So I took that and said, okay, I'm going to make 600. I love to throw clay. I don't know that there's much I love more than that. I love wet clay on a wheel. I love pulling up. I love watching the rings go around and around. I love putting the sponge in water and dripping it on the clay. I love the smell, the taste. I, I didn't mean to say taste, I meant to say touch, but sure, I love the taste too. I love everything about throwing clay. I don't love glazing so much. It's not my jam. It was always way too precise for me. You didn't always know what you were going to get out of it. It was kind of tedious sometimes. And I was throwing so many pieces that if I took the time to glaze every single one of them, I would never get to throw. So for those of you who don't know ceramics, you throw the clay, you let it get what we call leather hard, and then if you want to like add a handle or trim it or things like that, you do it at that point. Then you put it in the bisque kiln for the first firing. And after it comes out of the bisque kiln, it's kind of, it's hard, uh, it's breakable, it's very porous. And at that point, you put glaze on it, and then you fire it another time. It was just too much. It was too tedious. That was not my favorite part at all. And like I said, I was making hundreds of cups, mostly cups that first semester. And so I started handing out my bisqueware to other students to glaze for me because I didn't care. Did I love ceramics? Yes. Did I learn about glazing and the chemical and the, you know, all the chemistry and everything related to that? Absolutely. Were my first several jobs related to that ceramics class? Yes, they were. I was deeply immersed in ceramics and hated that whole second half of making any kind of piece. I was totally happy doing 600 incomplete cups than any number of finished ones. And that shows, actually. I look around my house now and I don't have any of my ceramics. I don't own anything that I made. And I was just thinking about how lucky I was that I was in an environment where that kind of dive into this particular interest, not just ceramics, but throwing ceramics, where that was totally accepted and supported. I think there's a lot of parents out there who feel like if a kid is going to be interested in something, they have to do it from start to finish. And there is an art to leaving something incomplete. If I had been forced to glaze every single one of those 6,000, the number keeps going up, cups that I made that semester, I would have ended up not making as many because I wouldn't have been wanting, you know, to, to be forced to finish it. It would have been unpleasant. And I might have lost interest in this field that changed my life. I would have been frustrated. I would have been resentful. It would have been a big barrier to future connections. And instead, I gained the ability to dive really deep and get a huge amount of repetition. And when you get that kind of repetition, that leads to expertise. And when you get to become an expert in something, then you also get to loosen up and experiment more. And when you get expertise and experimentation, that leads to invention and innovation. It also just allowed me to keep it interesting. I didn't get a bad taste in my mouth because I was being forced to do something I didn't want to do. 
I heard a similar story from my sister, actually, who was really into baking for a little while. Once I asked if she would bake cookies and decorate them for like a baby shower or something. And she's like, no, I'm not really into the decorating part. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're right. I guess I've never really seen you decorate like sugar cookies or something. She said, yeah, what she liked doing was different bakes from around the world, but she didn't want to have to decorate things afterwards. That part wasn't inter interesting to her. And I think about that too. If someone had said, no, the only way to do this thing is to make something from start to finish and decorate it, she would have gotten bored. She would have gotten resentful. She would not have attempted new and interesting bakes from around the world because she would have known that she might have to follow it through in a way that was unpleasant to her. We're allowed to get something valuable out of an experience, even if it doesn't look like someone else's whole experience, even if it's not A to Z. We still get something out of A, B, C, and D. A lot of times in my practice, when parents complain that their kids are seeming very apathetic or they're not willing to try new things, I ask about what happened in the past if they did something like started on a sports team or took a class or something like that and it turns out after a couple weeks that they didn't enjoy it. Were they forced to continue or were they allowed to say, nope, this thing isn't for me, I'd like to enjoy it in the way that works for me or stop it completely? The vast majority of kids who were forced to do something from start to finish, even if they didn't enjoy parts of it, those are the kids who do not say yes to new things because they know that they might be forced to do something and the risk is too great because what if they start it and then they don't like it and they know they're going to be held to it. So those kids learn that lesson and just say no from the beginning. So celebrate the incomplete. There's an art to it. There's a benefit and a value to it. And there's a whole closet in my room of incomplete projects. And you know what? I still got something out of doing half of each one of those things. That's okay. It's totally, completely more than okay to leave something incomplete. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Recreate Parenting Podcast. As always, I want to invite you to set aside honor some times of creativity every single week by joining the Play With Purpose monthly membership group. You can find information about that and everything else I've got to offer for you creative parents at royadato.com. That's R-O-Y-A-D-E-D-E-A-U-X.com.